Hi, and welcome to our podcast, There's No Business Like No Business. We'll have conversations with all types of people in the live events industry to see what's been going on, or not, over the last year, and what hopefully we'll be looking forward to soon. We'll expand this a bit to see how the COVID downturn has affected our friends in the worlds of performing arts, travel, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, we'll talk to just about anyone. Here to guide us along the way are your hosts, Dave Eveson and Andrew Douglas. So I have pressed the record button. There is our intro music playing away, which we love so much because it means we're not talking and I'm sure our audience doesn't mind that either. So usually we say hello, Andrew. Do you want to say hello first, Andrew? Sure. Absolutely. And three, two, one. Hey, Dave. Hey, Andrew. How are you today? I'm great. I was just listening to uh, one of my friends uh, who I'm I'm really going to get him on, even if it's just a cameo appearance. He's what I consider the godfather of this podcast because I had no idea what I was doing. And I called him and that is Sean Patrick. And I just listened to Sean and uh, his partner, their podcast, which is The Two Marketeers, Lindsay Wise's co-host, and they are marketing magicians. So I listen to his on a regular basis or theirs. And they just did one on the Super Bowl ads and where things have gone this year, from what I understand, listening to them, that Budweiser, which is a huge one, everybody wanted to see the Budweiser ad, decided not to really do a beer ad this year. And instead it was a a social statement ad. And every time that they were talking about Budweiser, guess what Sean would say? What's up? And he did it. He did, he did it about twenty times. So here's to Sean Patrick and his uh, and his partner Lindsay. I love you guys. You guys, I, I listen to you all the time. So that is fantastic. I just finished a podcast with Bobcat Goldthwait, and I have no idea what he was saying. <laughs> just a bunch of screaming. We we should uh, perhaps focus our attention so we don't sound like Bob Goldthwait or the guy from the the guys from the WhatsApp commercial. Uh, That's probably a good idea. Uh, yeah. You know what we're going to talk about today before before we bring our guest on? What's that? Uh, today. No, yesterday. Sorry, yesterday. I mowed the lawn for the first time in 2021. And I did it because the grass was growing crazy. And then last night it dropped to minus one. And I actually did the conversion for the people in the US of A. That's uh, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. And I don't know if, does that hurt the lawn now or uh, the, the frost? Minus one, I, 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 I don't think so. I don't know. I, I think, I think you're probably good with minus one because we're still going down to about 29 degrees or minus three, somewhere in there. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it doesn't affect the lawn. But I thought you guys just got snow again. Yes, we did. But th- that was like a day. It came and went. Uh, right. but it was, it was pretty bizarre, like the middle of April and you're looking out the window and there's, I'm going to, this should just be called the conversion show. Cause I was about <laughs> to say there's like three centimeters 
of snow outside, which would be about an inch and a bit. So not a lot of snow, but uh, uh, enough to uh, right. enough to go. What the heck is going on? I've actually. I, I need to find it. I, I'm going to find it for our actual conversion show because I do have a document that explains conversion from from USA to Canada, not necessarily metric to imperial, but USA to Canada, and and it's 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 very amusing because Canadians aren't 100% metric. If you're dealing with a small amount of snow, you're talking centimeters. But once you get over 10 centimeters, you're in defeat. It happens. They did a test back in, I think it was like 91 or 92, that Arizona was going to go metric. And there's still a stretch of highway south of Tucson that has kilometers per hour on the highway. And I, I drove down there and I'm going, what the heck is going is on? Is that a snowbird that, thing? Well, I think it, it was probably tested out for the snowbirds, but if you're going to do that, then you should do, right. do the entire Southern portion of Florida should be in metric True. because that's what happens. The population just explodes. I'm going to rattle this off really quickly. I found it. Okay. So it's, it's how Canadians confuse the world. We measure outside temperature in Celsius and oven temperature in Fahrenheit length in meters and our height in feet cheese is weighed in kilograms but people in pounds we speak like americans spell like brits and randomly throw in french words how canadians confuse the world part de if it's a light snowfall we measure in centimeters if it's a big snowfall feet we measure driving distance in hours instead of kilometers e.g how far is it from calgary to vancouver Oh, about 11 hours. We measure liquids in liters, unless it's for a recipe and then it's in cups. Property is measured in hectares, but house size by square foot. Football fields and yards, swimming pools and meters. Okay, uh, just so you know, I'm going to edit that entire statement out because it's funnier than probably anything else I've said on this podcast <laughs> since its inception. I'm pissed now. You've just, you've just upset me for the day. <laughs> okay. Right, I've done my job then. You have. You have. You've once again put me down. Okay. Now I've lost where I am. Uh, okay. We've already That's talked about That's a liability. That. <laughs> well, I know where I am, but uh, I'm in the basement and you are in your son's room. Well, Speaking of liability, you should probably introduce oh, our, our was guest was that today. your segue? Because I had another segue. <laughs> but we can use the, that's a liability segue. That sounds like a good one. Because gosh darn, it's, it's on point, as they say. Okay, I will. Today we have a guest. Surprise, surprise. And his name is Terry McRae. And I'm just going to tell you a little bit about our friend Terry. Terry is a damage insurance broker and vice president, senior client executive, sports and entertainment at BFL Canada. Terry's original idea was to sell life insurance so that he could make enough money to go to school and become a record producer. Well, he eventually decided to stay in insurance, but still kept his music in his sights. Eventually, he found that life insurance was not for him. Instead, he found a way to join his work and his love for music. He turned his attention to commercial insurance in the music industry, and the rest is history. One thing led to another, and soon he was writing policies for many of Canada's top recording artists, studios, production companies, 
the Montreal Jazz Festival, and even the Juno Awards, which for you people south of the border are the Canada's Grammys. The firm Terry works for is BFL Canada, and they have a long list of clients in the event business, including the world's biggest Cirque company. He also has insured my company, Lightworks Lighting Productions, for about 25 years. Please welcome Terry McRae. Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, I really, uh, really, I think I'm going to enjoy this. This is my very first podcast. Well, that's amazing. And I, I, you probably have never heard anybody butcher an introduction so well then. <laughs> oh, I think I've probably done that a few times. <laughs> oh, well, okay. See, now if I say that I butchered your intro, then I might have to leave that introduction there because if I go and redo it and put it in perfectly then uh, people will get confused what I'm talking about, which is standard anyway. Just just script your mistake. You just, can redo it. Just script the mistake. Oh, I will throw a scripted mistake in there. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, so so you are, tell, tell me where you are. You're in the east coast of Canada. East coast, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. So um, for, for our American cousins... Uh, you go to Boston, go up north of Boston to Maine, uh, and then on the Maine border will be New, New Brunswick, and then you go out to this little, looks like a big hot dog out in the middle of the ocean, uh, that's Nova Scotia. I, yeah. I hear that, uh, from local reports that your real estate prices are now out of this world. Is uh, that correct? Uh, they're, they're moving in that direction. They're still not Vancouver by any means. Right. Or Toronto. Um, but, but they have, they have jumped a lot over the last little bit, a lot due to, you know, sort of what we're doing today, um, Staying being at home. able to work and stay at home. So yep. people, uh, you know, a lot of people in Toronto, um, uh, are, are from the Maritimes. Now they're saying, Hey. I can buy a place down Halifax and work from, from there. I don't need to uh, be in Toronto anymore or in Montreal or Calgary or wherever. Um, and I think the same thing, I've talked to a number of people in the U.S. and they're finding the same things happening in certain cities there too. So it's, there's, there's a new dynamic out there, that's for sure. Except I find that on, there's a show that I actually, from staying with Andrew for a few days, uh, got kind of addicted to this show and then him and his wife, Christy, were addicted to the show, which was the Fixer Upper with Joanne and Chip. When I watch that show, they are down in Waco, Texas. They invite a couple to look at a few houses and they go, well, you can get this house for $129,000 and you can put $80,000 into it. And I think it'll be quite lovely. And I'm going, that's probably the accumulation of my mortgage payments in a year <laughs> up here. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I could have a really nice house for like 225 grand. Are you kidding me? Well, it used, it used to be like that here. I, uh, the house that I'm in right now, I built in uh, 2001. I have one acre of land on a small lake. I paid $28,000 for this piece of land in 2001. <laughs> Wow. Now it's not worth that now. It's more like this this piece of land now would go for a little north of two hundred thousand. Right. But but back in the day, and that was part of the reason why, if you remember, Dave, when when I first approached you back in the nineties, and I was living here in Halifax, the company I worked for then in Toronto wanted me to move to Toronto, and I said sure. 
six figures and yep. don't put a one in front of it. Right. <laughs> Ended the conversation and yep. I stayed here and, and, and have been here ever since and, and was able to manage quite, manage, uh, you know, just traveling and, um, using technology and, uh, and, and communicating with my customers that way. But again, keep in mind, you know, insurance brokers, all we issue is pieces of paper with our signature on it. Right. Yep. And charge me a lot of money for that too. That's like crazy. <laughs> I wish I had your, I, I wish I had your gig. <laughs> uh, all, the, uh, yeah. My gig this year has been, uh, and in the last year is about finding ways to reduce all of those premiums as much as I possibly can. Because bottom line is if I don't keep you guys alive, then I lose my business. So it's in my best interest, but, uh, but I knew that dig was coming. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's the one and only one. I, I just, it's just, it's just fun. You've, you've done a great job for me over the years, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. If I was complaining, you wouldn't be here right now. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the other place you, you spend a lot of time is in Cabo. Yes, it is. And you, yes. so you kind of like do, do the. Uh, fair weather traveler, you head down there in the fall and that's your deal. You want to stay there all winter and come back? Is well, it... that's the plan. Um, we, we haven't, we haven't pulled the trigger on buying the place. When the pandemic hit last year, we were actually in Cabo and, uh, you know, all, all of a sudden, you know, our family's saying, you got to get home, you got to get home. And I said, whoa, uh, yeah, no, 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 whoa, whoa, slow down. Right. I didn't want to get in. I didn't want to get on an airplane. Uh, again, knowing a little bit about what was going on because I was getting information coming back from, from uh, the family. And fortunately, my oldest son is a pilot with Air Canada. So I was able to get him to tell me when the very last flight out of Cabo was to get back through Toronto because I have to go through Toronto back to Halifax. It was a week and a half after March 13th. And uh, so we came home on the 24th of March. And when I went through Pearson, there was nobody there. We, uh, we do, we did discuss before, and this is, this is kind of a little serious moment that before we get into any discussions regarding, uh, in, insurance and laws and rules and what you should have and shouldn't have that, that these are our opinions, that they're opinions of Terry and, and myself, Dave and Andrew, of course, uh, uh, and at this particular moment, we are going to play, and I haven't decided the music yet, but you'll hear it. We are going to play a disclaimer, and it would go something like, The opinions expressed in this podcast episode are those of the guest and hosts. We strongly suggest that you contact an insurance agent or broker in your area for definitive advice regarding your own unique situation. This includes, but not limited to, discussions regarding laws governing events in specific municipal, provincial, state, or federal jurisdictions across North America. And the music would play out and we'd go, thank you very much. My hands are clean. You know what the music, the, you know what the background music for that should be? Well, it will already be played. So now we're coming out of it. You're going to say, you know what it should be? It should be smoke in the water. Oh. 
Yeah, I think that would be you and me and but a handful of other people would know what. What is that song? What's that band? They're screaming all the time. <laughs> We've already used the clown car music, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually traveling through Switzerland a few years back, and I stopped in. It was my son Connor and I. We stopped in at Montrose and there was the plaque for the casino. There was a big statue of Freddie Mercury. It's a crazy place. And to think that that song, that album was one of my, I still, I still listen to the entire album every now and then. It's and killer. It's killer. It's and, killer. And I felt kind of a little tingle when I was there going, this is where it's smoke in the water. This is the, the, they all came down to Montrose. I I got to see visit Whiskey A Go Go a few years back, and same thing, right? Yeah. wasn't a great band playing that night, but uh, it was a Monday night. But it was like you know this this is you know hallowed halls, right? You know there 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 are some places you get to visit uh, musically in life that you go, hey, there's a lot of history here. So let's let's open up this can of insurance worms, and I'm going to get a little bit focused on the beginning right now. So what I'm going to ask you is if in five words, can you tell me what, if I was starting out in this business, what as a producer, as a technical director of live events or live music, can you give us an idea of where we should be looking? Well, the, 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 the very first thing is general, commercial general liability insurance, i.e. if something bad happens, someone gets injured, equipment gets damaged because something went wrong and you get sued, general liability coverage basically covers your defense costs against that lawsuit uh, and uh, pays out any awards uh, that might be awarded against you for your negligence up to whatever your policy limit is. And that statement is a blanket. Canada, U.S., our laws are similar enough that... That's the first thing. That is number one before anything else. Now, I've heard uh, that, oh, you should be carrying $2 million. You should be carrying $5 million. You should be carrying $10 million. It, I, is I there... have a very simple response to that. Yep. Carry as much as you can afford to carry. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't foresee what a judge or a jury might make in an award. Right. If... I am a limited liability corporation, or if I am uh, just Joe. Or, does that offer you any protection? Does that does that offer me any protection? No. no. So it no. doesn't matter. And that's that. Uh, the there's a misunderstanding with legal liabilities and civil liabilities because your corporate veil, as they call it. Um, is there for bankruptcy protection against your personal assets unless you give personal guarantees to the bank. But really, that's all that's there for your corporate veil. So if you have a, a, a company, uh, XYZ Events, and you have a big outdoor concert and you do an as-build stage that's a piece of crap, and it falls down and you're the company that contracted for that stage and there's lawsuits flying like crazy and you didn't buy any liability insurance, the courts are going to seize your assets because they will come after you personally because you are 
you're the you're there's no board of directors if it's your company it's your company so you're the ceo the chairman of the board and the president and so as an officer of the corporation you're responsible for the fact that you didn't have enough coverage and the courts will allow that right it's a, this whole thing about uh oh i got incorporated because it protects me that's that's kind of a piece of crap. So if only, for, only bankruptcy? for bankruptcy. Yeah. Right. So only for bankruptcy. Right. And I, I'm pretty sure that that law is the same in the U.S. and Canada. Right. And if you do go bankrupt, you're still like if it's a court awarded, you're yeah. You still got to find a money somewhere right. in your life. Right. Yeah. Uh, Litiga- litigation, civil litigation, is the one area where even though it may drive a company into bankruptcy. It's still so that leads into the next little uh, type of coverage depending on the type of business you you operate. But a lot of uh, festivals and events run as not for profits, and if you're running as a not for profit, well then you you generally will have a board of directors, and the next thing you want to look at is directors and officers liability, because if you're sitting on a board to help a not-for-profit festival, because again, there's a lot of cultural events. So like here uh, in Nova Scotia, we have a lot of Celtic music, Scottish and Irish music. So there's a big event in Cape Breton called Celtic Colors. Celtic Colors is a not-for-profit society. So they carry directors and officers liability because there's people that sit on the board that are not necessarily going out boots on the ground to help run the festival. They're just there because there needs to be a board for you to have a not-for-profit and get government funding. But if something goes wrong, the board can be held personally liable. So in that case, I would be, if I was to join the board of, of say, the Canadian Cancer Society and we did an event, and something happened at the event, I, as a board member, should have my own personal insurance to protect me no, not no. no. Okay. No. What you do is you you say to the Canadian Cancer Society, if the second you go to serve on any board for a not for profit, the first thing you ask is, I want to see your your uh, directors and officers liability policy. You always make sure they have that policy in place, that there's some sufficient limits there, um, and that you know it's with a reputable insurance company and all of those other things. So, uh, to take it now, I've got my five million. Which general liability? General liability. You got two million on your D- directors and officers. If I am a, a producer of a live event, what other kind of things should I be looking at? Well, you want to look at how does uh, the event get produced? I.e., are you? Is it an indoor, outdoor? Is there an outdoor stage? Who's providing the stage? Who's providing the audio, the lighting? Now you want to, if you're not doing it, and you're subcontracting all that work out. Any subcontractor that comes on to the site with their equipment or their services should be providing the uh, event entity, whoever that might be, as an additional insured to their general liability policy. Because that means, for example, we've all heard about the stage collapses. Uh, that have happened. So when if that does happen and you have a, a, um, a bad claim from something like that, what I try to do with my events is really 
drill down into risk management, making sure all those certificates of insurance are done, um, making sure that uh, the crew are quality. Again, we're in a business of reputation. Always pay more money for the better company that has the better reputation. Very good point. So what if we're not outdoors? Is there, like, most of our work, is, as you know, is in a, a ballroom or a conference center. Uh, I find there's a lot of venues require a company like myself to be named on the insurance uh, so that if I damage something inside of their venue... The venue is renting that out to your client. So you're not renting that venue. Right, so unlike a concert promoter, which would, you know, Live Nation, which would go in and directly rent the venue, you're a subcontractor to XYZ Software, and XYZ Software is having a big sales conference uh, in Las Vegas, and you go into, uh, um, you know, one of the MGM. MGM's going, hey, sure, we'll rent you the venue, but... You, the, your customer is putting up their liability insurance for the entire event because it's their event, right? They sign the venue contract. So that venue contract is always the primary liability. Whoever signs a venue contract, they're the primary litigant. So then they push out and then ask for everybody else to add, uh, add them as additional insured. But the venues most of the time now will also demand of uh, their customer that's renting their venue, will demand that those certificates, that they get copies of certificates with them at it from production, i.e. pyro, audio, lighting, backline, you know, whatever supply might be coming in. That venue, they're doing that now. Now, they never used to do that, but that's changed. And... They're doing that in the States too. And I, I just want to, before we continue, I, 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 I'd like to just get a sidebar in on that because in the States they're doing that. And as a supplier going into a venue, I have to provide the venue with a certificate of insurance that lists them as, as a holder slash additionally insured. The, the issue that I see sometimes is when a venue has an in-house supplier, for instance, for rigging. So I'm the lighting guy and I'm bringing in my really truss good. and my lights, but the in-house is providing the rigging services and the rigging services company or the in-house provider is telling me, oh no, we can't give you a certificate of insurance, even though they're hanging my equipment. So where does that work? If you were my client and I was your broker, I would go off on that rigging company and I'd say, yeah, you're out of your mind. You supply the certificate or you're going to have a problem. I won't accept that. I refuse that because, and I, I do that uh, MTCC, Dave, right? Remember yep. there's the, the independent uh, supplier in there. Yep. And I, I said to them, you have to supply us with the certificate because really the rigging is is the main fail point uh, when you're hanging uh, load from uh, pull points. That's your that's your main exposure. Now that all being said, 
uh, I do a lot of there because a lot of riggers now are independent. There's a lot of independent guys out there now, and I think I'm the only guy in Canada that will actually insure an independent rigger. But if I've got if I've got his resume and he's worked for Cirque du Soleil and, and you know all these big production companies, you know, if I see that on the resume, I am comfortable because that rigger knows. I screw up, my career's over. One mistake, I'm done. I, I'm very comfortable with rigging. If they're professional riggers, they have good reputation, and they know what they're doing, and they're following, uh, if there's engineered drawings or whatever, and they're following all of that to a T, then I'm not uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, especially if, you know, your first lead rigger who has all the experience, that's the guy to listen to. Um, anything that, that a third rigger or, or just a hired hand says that you don't listen to. The Downs view, and again, this, I believe this to be true, but the Downs view incident uh, with Radiohead, um, I believe the first lead rigger walked off that show. What if we are going into, which is very big now, we supply drawings uh, showing our rig, our motors, our weight calculations, etc., to a venue. Now the venue says, that's great. Bring your lights and cable. We are supplying the motors. This is our contract. We supply the motors. We supply all of the trussing. We're going to put it up with our guys, and then you come along and clip your lights on. So that, that becomes a real mishmash of who's who well here and, and and here's here's the way i would deal with that is that dave when you get a, a gig like that you let me know that it's a gig like that and when i uh, one you gotta you gotta make sure your contract you're not assuming any liability but again your contract generally isn't with the venue your contracts with your client that's hired Correct. you, right? So you Correct. don't have a contract with the venue. So when I supply the certificate of insurance to the venue, it will say, this uh, certificate of liability insurance assumes no liability for any uh, equipment supplied by the venue or venue's labor source. Right. Okay. Something right. like that, right? You, you, you make some modifications to the certificate now I get into some big fights with big venues and so far I haven't lost one. Hey everybody, it's shout out time again. And today I'd like to give a shout out to the Irish Whisper in National Harbor, Maryland. Every town needs an Irish pub or bar. National Harbor is no exception. You can Stop by the Irish Whisper there on Fleet Street in National Harbor, just down the street from the Gaylord National. Or you can check them out online, theirishwhispernh.com. That's theirishwhispernh.com. So is it... And, and I don't want to say, is it safe to assume, but along those lines, is it safe to assume that I could probably in the U.S. request that kind of verbiage from my broker slash carrier to see how that bounces back? Because we run into that all the time in U.S. venues. Well, you got to have a broker that's 
got some balls. <laughs> I guess is <laughs> the only way I could say it. <laughs> um, I, I've never been shy. Uh, I've always been, I, I've always told my clients right from day one, I'm going to tell you the truth, whether it's what you want to hear or not. But that's the way it's got to be because we're also dealing with stuff that, that if, this, if this shit goes bad, it's bad. It is not good. <laughs> it's bad. So you can't screw around with it, right? So really what it comes back to is, one, your insurance company is not going to have any problem with your broker putting verbiage like that on the certificate simply based on the fact that you're limiting your insurance company's exposure to that additional insured, right? right? So you're, you're, you're making it very, very clear. So your broker shouldn't have any problem with that. Your insurance company shouldn't have any problem with that. Whether the venue uh, and their risk manager and or insurance broker is going to accept it, you know, there's where there's where your argument would be. Would be it should not be with your broker or your uh, insurer. I'm pretty sure that any insurance company or anybody who's being further protected would be all for it. It's the other exactly. people that you're trying to take away some protection from, which are the people. I mean, it's it's a big business. It's like the yep. the being uh, in charge of owning the ceiling and uh, and the equipment supply and the labor inside all of these venues is a huge, huge business. Sometimes I just, I just quoted uh, a show uh, down in uh, California that uh, the rigging and labor bill was three times my lighting and labor bill. Yeah. You know, when you present something like that to them, they just go, oh no, you, you know, we, we don't, uh, your your contract's already signed by the by your client, and you'll have to take that through your client. It, it's it's a it's an uphill battle, it, like crazy. And Andrew, it I is, know but you want to add to that. It it does. I look at it in the sense of, in many cases in the U.S., and I I, I know this is this is a North America, and Terry, you're not necessarily a, a an authority on the U.S. side of things, but. In many cases, specifically for rigging, when it comes to venues in the States and hotels and conference centers, the in-house provider is listed as the exclusive provider of those services. And in my mind, if you can't provide me with a certificate of insurance that covers me as well, or allow me to put that type of verbiage in my, in my certificate saying, we are not liable for your equipment and your labor, then we should have a talk about the exclusivity. Because if you're not going to cover me, why can't I bring my own stuff in? Exactly. So I think that pressure of getting some agreement be f kind of forced on the in-house exclusive supplier by the client when the meeting was booked so that they can go in and say to the... And that's the right place to do it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. start uh, get it started at the client level. Because the they're not, what they're not they're not going to tick the client off if the in-house rigger and supplier of motors and and truss ticks off the client the venue doesn't get the rental and the venue is not going to be happy with that exclusive entity always remember where the power is the power is always in the client it depends on what time of year it is because sometimes the 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 venues are so booked they just go. Oh, so you didn't want to sign this? Okay. Uh, well, I'm sure there's a nice uh, Ramada Inn down the street that you can have your show at. Uh, we've got another person waiting outside who's going to take this week. 
I wonder. I wonder if they'll. After all of this, do you think they'll still take that kind yes. of? Yes. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, that was another uh, discussion point we had at uh, another episode was the fact that at the beginning it's going to be wide open. It's going to be very easy to get venues, but come January 2022 and moving forward, oh, everybody's. It's going to be. Weeks on weeks are sitting on top of each other. Everybody's going to have problems finding crew, gear, venues. Uh, but in the fall, I think you're pretty sure you could probably make your own. Uh, Not in the U.S. I don't think in the U.S. No. I think in the U.S. by the time the fall comes around, it's going to be full tilt boogie. Well, Andrew will was kind of my uh, my my litmus test for what's going on down in in the states and really what's going to echo up here and. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what's going on. So corporate, corporate will be a little slower to the party because corporate is much more cautious about those liabilities and the tra transmission of COVID. But Live Nation, nope. They're going to be pedal to the metal and they're going to be out the door and they're going to be filling stadiums and they're going to be filling uh, festivals um, they're, they're, they had, uh, the, the, uh, big electronic music festival in, uh, um, in yeah, Las that's... Vegas that was supposed to happen this month, right? That got, they finally, uh, put it off until, um, September or October. Yeah, that was supposed to be May, middle of May, I think it was. Middle of May, yeah, the but they haven't canceled the Miami event. Right. Miami event with, you know, 10, 20, 30, 50,000 people, whatever it's going to be, that's still, I haven't seen on the website that that's canceled. So they're going forward with that, with that, right? There are certain states that are, you know, Texas is going forward, Florida is going forward, um, pedal to the metal, and they're, it's going to very, very, very quickly uh, when it happens, I think by the time July comes around, I think that venue and equipment and supply and, um, whatnot, by the time the summer comes around, there's going to be a shortage. I think it might be later than that, but you know, that's, that's you versus Again, me and opinions, uh, we're, right? <laughs> we're not booking any parties yeah. right now. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's certainly, I, there's certainly a lot more talk. Um, I, I, I'm getting more email traffic. I'm getting more phone calls to have light casual conversations about possibilities, uh, in, in the fall and, and the, uh, early in the new year, but it's, it's cautious optimism. And I, I think that that optimism will, will become something different once we see a rise in vaccinations and, and a more relaxed rules on, on, on getting groups together. I, I did have a question and it kind of tails off from that discussion we just had about in-house rigging and, and, and where one of my clients, a producer, may fall into a liability situation if this document has been signed by their client, by the end user of the room, and they didn't you know, say anything about uh, insurance documents signed back from the in-house rigging company and something happens. Where is their position on, on that? Is like, well, it, it's sim well, it's simple as this. This is what happens. Everybody goes to court. And a judge is going to weed through uh, during discoveries, is going to weed through the documents, right? There's going to be affidavit of documents and there's going to be piles and piles and he's going to weed through and he'll sort that out, 
right? It's the bill is running, right? This is the problem that this this is what I'm trying to accomplish by sorting this stuff out for my clients is that cost of defense and discoveries, the bill is running for you, the client, and your claim is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, even though you're going to be released because it's determined now that it was a motor failure that you did not supply and it was overloaded by the rigor. The investigation shows that, but this is like six months into the thing that this is found out and your insurer has already spent $50,000 in defense costs. That's still a claim on your policy, right? And that's the drawback with it. And there's no way around that. If, if that's the way this scenario goes, it's almost impossible to get around that um, eventuality without being added as additional insured to the riggers and, and the, uh, the in-house uh, provider. So everybody is responsible when they go into one of those venues to get uh, their names on that document from the in-house supplier. Absolutely. Okay. That's absolutely the way it should be because um, they're the primary risk in, in rigging and, right. and, and having uh, flown equipment. Okay. It so always comes back to I bridge. think that, that makes that pretty, pretty straightforward, that it has to be done at the time that that meeting, the initial sig- signature goes on that contract, that there's an agreement that the, our clients or their clients' clients uh, will have a document uh, freeing them of litigation or, or responsibility for that. Okay, well, that's, that's good to know. Now, is there a difference in insurance uh, or responsibility to your audience if the audience is a paid audience versus uh, if they are staff, if they are employees that you're bringing in? Uh, do, you, do you understand yeah. what I mean? Like big, if you're, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. big difference. Big, big, big difference. So... Um, in the U.S., and again, I have a, a good working knowledge of U.S. workers' comp because I have a big client that has a lot of locations in the U.S., and I've negotiated their workers' comp for them. So I've had to familiarize myself with U.S. workers' comp. Um, so in the U.S., uh, anybody that's covered by workers' comp you have anybody coming onto that site as an employee needs to be mandatory. They got to be covered by workers comp and Andrew, you issue workers comp certificates or your broker does as a matter of course, right? That's, that's a certificate that's issued just the same in the U S as a general liability certificate. The two are, are both, and it must include employers liability, which means as an employer, if you are reckless and negligent and put your employee in severe danger, not just course of employment, they can sue the employer if they're considered negligent. Now, in Canada, we have workers' comp provided through the provincial um, uh, governments, and you have to subscribe to it. Where some of it can fall down is... A lot of, and this is a big problem in the industry, and not just with workers' comp, but also with uh, general liability, anybody who's a subcontractor. So both of you probably have guys that are crew guys that are not your employees, quote marks, 
they are independent subcontractors. That means that they, if they get named individually in a lawsuit under the general liability for injuries, they're not covered. We're not going to defend them because you own your own business. Go buy your own insurance. And that, that's just the way it is. If you want to be an independent subcontractor, operate like everybody else and buy your own insurance. So that's one. We're Second one, workers' comp, though, can, can uh, cover those subcontracts. In the U.S., it can. And in Canada, it can, too. Right. And so a, lot, a, lot, a lot of companies aren't aware that you can do that. A lot of them don't want to do it because it's very expensive. But you open yourself up to lawsuit if you don't. On the last episode, my pick was about as far west as you can go, on the island of Maui. This time, I'm going the opposite direction, as far east as you can go, to Newfoundland and the Mallard Cottage. Not many of us are lucky enough to go that far east, but if you do, make sure your trip includes dinner at the Mallard Cottage. It's an 18th century Irish Newfoundland style cottage. The building has been recognized as a National Historic Site of Canada and is one of the oldest wooden structures in North America. It's located in Quiddividdy Village, a quaint fishing hamlet of St. John's. In 2011, Mallard Cottage was purchased and restored by the team of Chef Todd Perrin, Kim Doyle, and sommelier Stephen Lee. The cottage is amazing, and so is the food. It's a one-of-a-kind venue where the team celebrates Newfoundland and Labrador's incredible purveyors through showcasing the province's vast array of wild game, seafood, and produce. Make sure you make your reservations at mallardcottage.ca. So, and, and, and that is, to the best of my knowledge, and, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when they're looking at that in the States, to the best of my knowledge, it goes up the food chain. So if if yep. if X gets hurt on site and that person doesn't have insurance, they say, well, who are you working for? I was working for so-and-so as a subcontractor. Oh, they didn't cover you or they don't have coverage for you? Let's go up the ladder and go to the next company who hired them and who, who has the coverage because that's where we're going to get it from. Oh yeah, no, that's that's exactly how it how it works, which is the reason why it goes down the food chain at contract time, because that's one of the very first things that's part of every contract you sign is that you will provide certificates of workers' compensation insurance. All right? They just the U.S. is very very adamant about this, and then when I have Canadian companies traveling into the U.S., where we run into problems is if we have a U.S. hire. So Dave, have you ever had a situation where you hire? Now I know how you, we've talked about that and I know how you get around it, but let's say as a Canadian company, you've got a big gig down in, in, in LA and uh, you subcontract five loaders and a, uh, a lighting technician as subcontracted individuals, your Ontario workers' comp doesn't extend to them. No, absolutely. I that is that to me so, is is uh, is at face value. Like if I yeah. bring people down, that's a different story. No, no that, then they're covered. Then they're, then covered, they're covered, right? As long as you're yeah. saying I do work in the U.S. to the yeah. compensation board. But what you can do, what Canadian companies can do to fix that, is phone Andrew. Is 
No, hire a payroll, hire a payroll <laughs> service. Yeah. Or yeah. phone Andrew. Yeah, yeah. But you hire a payroll service for those guys, and you have them paid through the payroll service, which will provide the U.S. workers' comp for them. Correct. It's a little bit more expensive, yep. but you got your butt covered. Again, like I said earlier, if you cut corners and you do things always with the thought of saving money, when something bad happens, you're probably going to bite it because you're not going to be covered properly and you can lose everything. I mean, when those things go wrong, they go very, very wrong. So that's one of the ways I have a lot of touring artists that will go into the U.S. and sometimes they'll hire a U.S. person. I said, go to a payroll service and hire, get them, get them through a payroll service. It's another way of doing it. But yes, every, every person that goes on that site should be covered if they're in, if they're work, if they're work people should be on that, uh, on workers comp. Now, Paying patrons. Now, here's the. So you were uh, then talking about the audience, right? The people yeah. that are attending. Yeah. Right. They're paying some some events. They're paying to be there. Some events. It's a free event. Or 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 you have to go because you're an employee. Or you have to go because you're an employee. Now you have to go because you're an employee. That's that's a workplace situation where you are covered by workers' comp. You're there for work. You're not there to go have fun and party, which generally is what they're doing, but, but it's a work event, right? So that, it, that would be covered under workers' comp. I think that, that this is where we start creeping into something like uh, illness. Because I, reading and, and taking all the courses in management of, of events where I have to pretty well guarantee the safety of every single one of the people that are working for me in the venue. Uh, and I'm considering that that would include them contracting a disease. Or they have a heart attack. Or they have a heart attack. And need emergency, need, need a, you know, emergency treatment in a U.S. hospital. Yeah. That, that has to be covered by travel medical insurance. So Unless they're a U.S. citizen... And if they're a U.S. citizen, you, you, if you're hiring them, you better ask for proof of medical coverage in the U.S. under the Affordable Care Act if they do not have group insurance through an employer. Do they have their own personal uh, medical insurance? Because yeah. that's an exposure to employers in the U.S. also under the Affordable Care Act. I mean, all the time right now that I'm doing events, I read, take the, the group of technicians that are coming in and I read them the riot act. I give them all the information on COVID there that, that the, there's absolutely no way I can guarantee that they wouldn't contract it in this environment. We will take every precaution that we can to, uh, to do that at this point. Do, do you want to step away? This is now, you know, they're, uh, the onus is on them sign the paper. Let's go in and, and do it, or they can walk away from it. No harm, no foul. Well, from an insurance standpoint, the way we look at it is it's not covered. <laughs> right. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, from a risk management standpoint, you're doing it the right way because they're signing a waiver saying they understand that there's a risk. But you also have to, if, like, let's say... Uh, I mean, here's the truth of the matter. Anybody can sue anybody for anything at any time, whether it's justifiable or frivolous. The point is, 
do you have your ducks in a row to be able to defend? So even in a COVID situation, now so far we're not seeing lawyers in the US or in Canada chasing after COVID cases. And I think a lot of that is because the bank, i.e. the insurance companies, have already made it very, very clear that it's been excluded under the contagion exclusion right from square one anyway. Well, it's got to be so hard. Yeah, I mean, it's such an insidious disease. It's, it's got to be so hard to track, to even to, to think about defending or proving that. Well, yeah, you were at an event last night, but you were also at a McDonald's with 10 of your closest friends without your mask on before you went to that event. So, we, you know, we're, where do we stand? Yeah, and that's that's why I think you're seeing you're seeing some employers in employment situations like uh, the the Tyson, I think it is. You know, they've got a class action against them, but that's a very 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 specific kind of situation. We haven't seen it pro proliferate um, much. Uh, that was kind of at the initial outbreak you know, when maybe things weren't quite as tight as they need to be. But now every employer is, you know, doing anything and everything they can to mitigate the exposure. So now I think it's at the point where it really is simple as this. If the courts, whether in the U.S. or in Canada, were allowing the precedent to be set for successful lawsuits due to the contraction of COVID, the run on the courts would be massive to the point that it would the system would collapse. So I think the courts have probably quietly said to the lawyers out there, don't bother coming to us with this because we'll strike it down. We're just not going to hear this because this is just, it is what it is. It's a pandemic. We are not capable of handling mass lawsuits. We will, we will set precedent and we will strike this down. And, and that, I think, is where that's going. Okay, so now we know that there's no way in whatever on earth that uh, an insurance company is going to agree to any sort of coverage on COVID, that, uh, that we are on our own if we go out there. Yep. So, Absolutely. So let's move on from there. Thank you very much for the clarification on that matter. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's move on to to what you were talking about before, and I I grabbed the conversation and took it a little differently than where you wanted to go, but we can now go there, and that is okay. cancellation. So here here's the interesting thing: the Olympics, 2020 Olympics, was covered. They've been buying, it, it wasn't they bought specifically for COVID, right? They bought specifically in their cancellation of event, they included uh, uh, coverage for pandemic and con contagion. And that was something that was available and ha had been available and is still available except COVID-19 is excluded or any, or uh, SARS or H1N1, any known virus is excluded, but any future pandemic, they will cover. There are Lloyd's underwriters that are willing to take that on, but it would have to be a novel virus that came out and it was another, a new pandemic, but it can be bought out the same as adverse weather for outdoor events can be bought out. Same as non-appearance for featured artists or featured speakers because they can't make it because of, you know, death, injury, illness can be covered. And one of the things I'm working on 
is because the ones that got left out in the cold in this, while Live Nation was able to buy this, and I know they probably on some of their tours that they were working on probably bought it, and while you know the big Cirque companies out there uh, had some coverage for that uh, and bought some of it and had claims paid out, the film industry did not have any exclusion for pandemics. So when they got shut down, they had full coverage for it. But the production companies, the guys that are supplying audio, lighting, staging, they had no coverage for it. I'm looking at a product specifically tailored for supplier production that they can buy an annual cancellation of event policy so that if all of a sudden that big $500,000 million cash cow that comes around once a year gets cancelled and now all of a sudden you're giving back deposits and all, you know, all of that work, all of that profit that would have come from that is gone. I would like to milk that cow. I would imagine you would. Well, we are well, well into a long episode here. And I, I want to just ask one more question, if you can make it as reasonably short as you can before we get into your shout out. Uh, but this is, has, is kind of the phrase of 2020, 2021 that might need a little explanation from an insurance person's standpoint is force majeure. If you can just give us in a nutshell what that means so that uh, people can understand it. Maybe that might take you a couple of minutes to gather your thoughts. But. It's, it, well, no, no. Force majeure is a, is, is a common clause in contracts. But generally, force majeure only allows for the disassembling or, or dissolution of a contract. Force majeure in insurance doesn't really mean much of anything, to be honest. From an insurance standpoint, act of God is, you know, that has to be determined in a court of law that when a lightning bolt hit the venue you were in and then hit the lighting grid, went down and electrocuted the speaker on the podium, right? These is are that, delightful examples, by the way. That's a bad day. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad day. <laughs> hey, listen, we, yeah. here's my favorite saying. We insure stupid. Right. Well, thank you. I'm one of your clients, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Not not the client, the the thing that happens. Because it's always stupid. There are crazy, crazy things that happen. Is that a force majeure? Because it's lightning. Act of God. Good luck in court. Because the venue is going to be dragged into court because their venue failed to ground out that lightning strike to the correct ground point. One. Two. Was your lighting grid grounded properly to the proper ground points? That's all part of that, you know, everything that you do with any kind of electrical grid, there's got to be ground points on all of that. So force majeure to us really means nothing because there's always a lawyer out there that's going to find a way of arguing that it wasn't force majeure it was your negligence that's their job so in the case of the olympics was that force majeure or was it just that they had good cancellation policy on pandemics they had good cancellation policy on pandemics they they paid a lot of money for it they almost didn't do it they had done it for 20 years and never made a claim and they paid you know millions of dollars in premium and they almost didn't do it and they did it 
And now, well, let me put it this way, the Tokyo Olympics this summer probably wouldn't have been able to happen without that insurance claim. It's well over a billion dollars. That's if it happens. We're still waiting to see. Well, we're still waiting. <laughs> and if it doesn't, guess what? It's a continuation. The hard market we're in, especially with the London market right now, is a lot because of that Olympic claim. And I believe the tennis championship in London. Um, oh, uh, Wimbledon. Wimbledon, yeah. yeah. Wimbledon, I believe, also was covered when right. it was cancelled. Right, So there's some massive, massive, massive claims out there right now because that was covered. But that's causing some of the hard market too, right? Because now the insurers have no money left in their pockets. So they're trying to get money back. Well, Terry, uh, I thank you so much for your insight on all of this. And uh, I'm going to uh, whittle this it's down. It's a big topic. To, it's, it's not a, a, it's huge not a topic. small topic. No, it, it, no. It's a big topic. We could do this for several days. I'm yeah. quite sure. Let, let's not rule out a follow-up <laughs> with you, Terry. I, I, I certainly think that a part two is, is, is on the horizon somewhere. No, no, sure. Happy to any time. Like I said, uh, I, I like to make sure that at least there's some good, honest information going out there to the people that are in the industry, right? Because, you know, here's praying that we're all back full tilt boogie working in, in very short order. Because um, I know it's been hard on all of us. So, so that, you know, that's my shout out to everybody out there, you know, hang in there and, and uh, we'll get through this. And then that, that way I can afford those premiums. We'll get back exactly. to work and afford those premiums. So, so <laughs> as usual, uh, at the end of our guests chat, interview, talk, whatever you want to call it, we uh, ask for a shout out to uh, somewhere where uh, you have eaten uh, in North America. And I'll let you actually in that include Cabo if you want to go to Cabo. Uh, well. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a moment just to give a shout out in the, uh, to to a restaurant. Okay, well, I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be two in Cabo. And the reason why it's going to be two, because the first one doesn't need a shout-out from me. He's got enough money as it is. And that's Cabo Wabo in Cabo St. Lucas. It is my favorite club live venue on the planet. It is such a cool place to go. And if you're lucky, and I was lucky enough one night, Actually, the last night before we were going home, Sammy shows up and does a set with, with uh, the house band. So that was really, really cool to have Sammy Hager just all of a sudden pop out of the blue and boom, you know, he, he's there up on stage playing for you completely. And, and the, at, that happens down there with him on a fairly regular basis. Uh, but as to restaurant uh, in Cabo, DOC's Wine Bar and Grill. Uh, here I am from Halifax, Nova Scotia, the land of mussels and seafood. The best order of mussels I've ever had in my life was at this nice northern Italian restaurant in, in Cabo. Uh, it was in a gorgonzola and uh, white wine sauce. Oh, it was to die for. I think it's what, six o'clock, 10 after, six minutes yep. after six right now, and you sound like you are hungry. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for those uh, shout outs. We'll put the, uh, like you said, I'm not sure if uh, Sammy needs any more money, but no. uh, I'll, I'll, I've actually donated a few bucks to him on his tequila, too. So. Yeah, well, well yeah, I'll, I, I, have, I have some other favorite tequilas, but I won't, I won't say anything. <laughs> no, no, we're we're a big big tequila family around here, so we'll just uh, we'll just move on. Thank you once again, and uh, Andrew and I are going to stay on for 
five minutes, you're welcome to uh, listen on. We'll uh, we'll just mute your feed so you don't call us names or anything as we uh, chat. I'll, I will sign off, Dave. Perfect. And, and, and Andrew. And, and and again, guys, you know, thanks for for doing this. Um, I think this is great that you guys are doing this. You know, it's hopefully it. You know, those that get to listen to it get energized for what's coming because oh boy, it's coming. Thanks, Terry. Okay, Thank thanks, you, guys. And we are just by ourselves now. We are. That was that was fantastic. I'm glad we had Terry on. As much as it created more questions than it answered, I think it covered so much, and I, I, we did get a lot covered. As much as there was more to it, it fantastic to have him on and pick his brain. Well, it's nice to know that uh, there is some hope that my premium won't rise in the next little while, partly because I'm not really renting any equipment and, uh, and that maybe one day we can get some cancellation insurance there, Andrew. You know, the cancellation insurance point that he brought up uh, intrigued me for sure. Certainly for, you know, maybe not all the events, but the annual cancellation insurance contract, I think uh, maybe something to look into because we've all got one or two every year that possibly there's been some doozies. Yeah. So it's certainly something that I I will look into. By the same token, it's I'm still concerned that there might be a one and done type of situation there. People I feel very sorry for in this whole thing about canceling are our listener who doesn't get any money back if they stop listening to us. So (laughs) there's there's no way out of this. You have listened to this show, and uh, and you can't cancel now. And you're not now. getting that time back. <laughs> you cannot get that time back, no matter how hard you try. And uh, Andrew, I think that's all. I think that's it. I'll, I should let you hit the, the play button on that closing music. Thank you. Consider it pressed. Bye, Dave. See you next time. Ciao. Well, Andrew, again, I'd say that's a wrap. We want to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their experiences. We would also really like to thank you, the listener, for your time and support of this podcast. And don't forget that we're all in it together, so help out where you can and support everyone going through tough times right now. We hope to see everybody back on the road soon. See you later.